a casual stroll through the lunatic asylum shows that faith does not prove anything. Friedrich Nietzsche. When you think of a classic horror setting, what comes to mind? A graveyard? A haunted house? Or maybe a campsite in the middle of the woods? All of those things, no doubt, have the ability to send a shiver down your spine. But to us, nothing can compare to the asylum. These facilities started being implemented across the United States in the early to mid-1900s. They were meant to be a place of hope for those struggling with mental disabilities, and a place where they could ultimately go and get better. But sadly, all across the country, these facilities experienced overcrowding, inhumane treatment, and downright horrific acts. Given the events that occurred within the walls of these hospitals, it's no surprise to know that the screams of the patients can still echo throughout those halls today. intro i like that intro i really hope that the mic caught that no i absolutely probably did what is that a little uh johnny walker blue this time finally did you just say absolutely probably did <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh no it's actually johnny walker red i remember we were talking about this last week actually yeah, we did. we're not uh we're not at blue level yet well we're we're on our way we we're got red way. then we got black then we got green then we got blue uh, so give us 27 years Pretty much. That might be that might be highballing it though. So we'll, we'll, I don't know, we'll find out. <laughs> when we um when we reach two thousand followers on Insta, I will get black. When we reach five thousand, I'll get green. When I or when I when we reach ten thousand, we'll get blue. It'll never happen. That's what you're trying to tell me. Oh god, that's <laughs> the kind of positivity I need in my life. You know, I'll, I'll buy us some for Halloween this year. How about that? If we don't have two thousand followers by Halloween, I'm done with this. <laughs> this podcast will be over. But so, we're back for episode seven. We're here. We're ready to get a little spooky. Even though it is a blazing hot June day. This is the best kind of day to get spooky. That's true, actually. It makes me excited for Halloween. Yeah, we're just after Halloween, so you gotta get in that mindset. I would actually want to talk about Halloween for a quick second. So we are amid the coronavirus outbreak still. Um, things are starting to open up a little bit, and we're starting to get back on track. But I was so excited at... At the end of last year, or mostly in the beginning of 2020, back in January, because every holiday this year was either falling on a weekend day or it was just going to be like a dope year for holidays, including, and most importantly this year, Halloween falls on a Saturday night. Not only that, it is a full moon this year, and also it is the night that we have to turn the clocks back. So you get an extra hour that night. So you get an extra hour of like straight debauchery. Yeah, yeah, trick-or-treating, if you want to party, whatever you're doing that night on Halloween. The perfect storm was falling on 2020 for an absolute bang in Halloween. Uh, 
the perfect storm is falling. Okay. In 2020. Yeah. If everything cleans up with the coronavirus by then, I think it, it, it makes sense though. If everything gets cleaned up and that happens, boom, it's going to be an awesome holiday this year. Buddy, I don't care if none of this is cleaned up. I don't care <laughs> if the cases are through the roof. That does not change the calendar. That's true. I'm still partying. I'm going to carve probably 10,000 pumpkins and just eat my brains out with uh, yeah, Snickers and Milky Ways and I don't even know. Hopefully not laced with uh, razors, razors or needles. Or needles, yes, because I'm not going to be okay with that. If you do not get the reference, then see our previous Epis- podcast. Yeah, episode six yep. on Urban Legends. Hey, question for you. Do you know what you're going to be for Halloween this year? You don't have to disclaim it. Ooh. I, I, know for, kinda... I know for a fact um, I'm going to do... I'm going to play a video game. I don't know if any of our listeners have played the Evil Within series, but Sebastian Castellanos, I was him last year, and I know for a fact I'm going to play it again this October. So I'll beat him for one party I go to this year, but I also want to do a spin on Jigsaw. Maybe wear like a cool suit with a red tie and then paint my face in Jigsaw from and the And do the makeup movie. and stuff? Yeah, I think that would be super, with red contacts. Do you have a trike? Uh, no, I'm not going to ride a trike around the bar. Dude, I think you should just take... Look cool. Our neighbor, Chris, has a three-wheeled, like, motorized bike. You know how sweet it would be rolling up to a bar as Jigsaw on that? That would be, like, Jigsaw to the next level. I love it. I mean, or, like, even at minimum, just ride it, and we'll take, like, an uh, Insta video and just have you in full costume booking it 25 miles an hour down the road. That, that would be so awesome. cool, yeah. But I'm looking to be, like, a classier Jigsaw, you know, something Okay. Like that. But that still sounds awesome. Trying to take home a Jigsaw, uh, a Jigsaw... What's what's a female jigsaw? Jigsaw. I don't even know. J- uh, yes, a jigsaw. Yeah, a jigsaw. A, a female jigsaw. A hot one. Hell yeah, yeah, hot, that's, yeah. That's, a female that's jigsaw. There you uh, go. I've, I've always actually had the fantasy of taking on like a super sexy chick who's dressed as Freddy Krueger. That'd be sick. I saw one like two years ago. <laughs> what happened? I, I didn't talk to her. No, naturally. <laughs> Why did I even ask? <laughs> How about you? What are you gonna be following this year? Uh, I have a lot of costumes like lined up, so I need at least six parties. So if anyone uh, out there is throwing any kind of a party or even like a family get together, just DM me individually uh, at Tyler Brown one four zero eight, and uh, we can we can uh, get together. Um, I have a lot of costumes and not a lot of friends. You'd be there and you'd be spiking the family punch, and they're like have, trying to have like a classy Halloween like. All right, Mrs. Jones. <laughs> yeah, you want another one, huh? Uh, no, well, I'm not going to. Well, tell- Mr. Jones isn't in town tonight. <laughs> oh, oh, it's your stepdad. <laughs> Um, no, I'm not going to tell anyone what we're going to be for Halloween. That's like a... Nice, okay. Keeping that on the down low. I'm very excited for Halloween, and we have an actual really cool Halloween topic tonight. Well, They're I'm not going to say... Halloween topic. They are, but this one's very classic. It's very... Something that I feel anybody who's interested in horror is interested in this. Are you going to... Can I guess? Are you going to ask me questions and I can figure this can, out? Or? No, you can totally. Just take, right. take a random guess because we do this every episode. Okay. Uh, give every, me, give also, me I would like to say that everybody who listens to this already knows what the episode's on because the they, they have to click the title. So they know what it's on. We oh, just don't true. know what it's on. That's true. Good point. Wow. I totally deny anything about <laughs> well, that. You know, I was like a f***ing idiot. This is fun for us. Uh, okay. Give me one hint. Medication. Haunted hospitals. Very well done. Haunted... Mental hospitals. That's oh, what I wasn't even close. Those are two different categories, man. True. Haunted mental hospitals. Mental hospitals. So like not asylums. like yeah, not like Linda Vista. Not like actual working hospitals where they were just treating people who were sick or 
I mean, of diseases. This and was who a, died. This is okay. an episode all on the disease of the mind. And we're going to be talking about one mental hospital. Specifically, we're going to talk about the Byberry Mental Hospital located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I know next to nothing about this. I didn't know anything about this either until I did a fair amount. Because I knew I always wanted to do an episode on mental hospitals, asylums, because yep. it's, it's a classic horror thing. This one really sparked my interest because there are so many different things about this hospital that blew me away. I was like, I, this, this is so interesting because I, one, I feel like people don't know about this. And two, the things that happen there are astounding to say the least. Are you talking about like procedures or how many like deaths are on record documented? So issues, issues in general of this place was crazy. The history of this place is even crazier. What it was, what it turned into kind of thing. And so death tolls here, it's not crazy. It's not like Waverly Hills Sanatorium where you have like, well, I don't even thousands. Yeah. Yeah. This place wasn't like that, but it's just the way that people died and the way that they were treated here. It is just a perfect storm for spirit attachment spirits like to be in this building. I got you. So the doctors and the, the staff treating the patients super inhumanly and, and Right there is your attachment. Exactly. The inhuman would be a light tone to put on this. Okay. So. Oh, then sign me the f*** up. Let's rock and roll. What do we got? All right. So. Wait, hold on. First question. Is it still in operation? Is this a a place still? It's still standing today. Okay. Uh, To the best of my knowledge, I believe Let's go back to the question I asked. It's not a running hospital. No. So it's abandoned. Yes, but it was recently that this place, the 90s, where it shut down. So our viewers can go check it out. Don't Illegally. break. Do not break in. We yeah, do we not. don't condone that. Uh, <laughs> cops, we don't condone that. Okay. Absolutely not. Very cool, though. Go for it. Um, so first, we're just going to give, uh, I'm going to give a quick background on mental hospitals um, and like the upbringing of them in the United States and how they kind of came into being. And then we're going to jump into uh, the Byberry Mental Hospital. Do it up, my guy. All right, so... We're going to jump back to the mid-1800s, the mid to late 1800s, and this is when kind of a movement started in the United States when people realized that mental instability and mental diseases were a real thing that needed proper treatment throughout the United States because it was becoming such a prevalent problem here. Yeah, they needed treatment other than standard hospitals. Exactly. So mostly within the early 1800s, people with mental um, instabilities, they were kept at home and they were treated at home from their families. And anybody can see how this is like, like could be a big problem because most people don't have training for this and they don't really know like what to do if somebody has like a mental problem at home. So these people would, they would act out violently, they would be disruptive. And if there were like things going on in the community, the families really couldn't bring these people out because they would cause problems and people would start complaining about them. So they knew that something had to be done. During the mid to late 1800s, this is when a woman came into the picture in the United States history books named Dorothea Dix. I was, you beat me by, I was gonna fucking say her name. You, you learned about her in school, right? Or yeah. Yeah. Yep. And She's one of the most, or more prevalent, um, kind of pioneers in, in mental history. Yeah, yeah. the mental fields. Um, she has a, a place up in Bangor. Yes. Or just South Bangor. Is it in Bangor? It's in Bangor, yeah. It's like heading into Dorothea Dix Hospital, yeah. That's where me and, me and Tyler used to live for a long time. It used to be 
I'm gonna, I tell everybody, it wasn't really that close, but we used to kind of be neighbors with Stephen King. So Yeah, we were best friends. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So if you're listening, uh, there's Stephen. Is that his Ste- nickname? Stephen King. Uh, oh, Steve. Dear God. <laughs> um, we also used to live very close to the uh, sewer drain where he got the inspiration for Pennywise. Now that is cool. Yeah, that is very cool. No, That's- I bring up Dorothy Dix because I, I drove by it. I did, for my undergrad, I did, uh, it was like a, a one semester for my psych minor mm-hmm. it was at acadia national or acadia hospital oh okay was that in bangor too or no that was in bangor but okay. dorothea dix was that was the heading towards orono yeah because you just pass every day going into you right yep. right on like route one pretty was, much just straight up was that a mental hospital yep all right both yeah. of them were boom makes sense um so dorothea dix uh she was born in 1802 and she was pretty much the main reason that mental hospitals started become built in the united states and she was a lecturer, she was a teacher, and pretty much a reformer to everybody. And she brought to light the idea that proper and moral patient treatment in the mental field was a necessity. Keyword there is moral. Yes. They didn't have that before her. And this was a right for people who had these mental disabilities because they needed proper treatment. And the way they were getting treated now was not morally okay, and it wasn't right for them. Right. And this... This was a great thing in my opinion. I think that this was very much needed. Oh, if you have any moral compass, this is a good thing. And what she told everybody, she would go to like cities. Um, she would go to, to state councils and everybody and say that they would need a specific place that was secluded, a building or like just a hospital in general, where they could bring these patients and they could live. And sometimes if they were capable of, they could work there and just have their life at this place where they can get morally treated right. Pretty much she worked in this field, but another person came into the field at the same time named Thomas Kirkbride. And he was a person who pretty much came up with the layout of a mental asylum, like of what everybody pictures of in the horror community, the mental asylum. This is where this guy comes in. And pretty much there were two types of hospitals that were built in the late 1800s and in the early 1900s heading up into like the 1950s. So there's two types of plans that you could build a mental asylum with. You could have the Kirkbride plan, which was, I mean, this is the thing that you picture HP Lovecraft writing about. This was the big gothic, creepy kind of mental hospitals that were built at this time. And it's important to note that the Kirkbride plan was a, if you were looking at a bird's eye view down on it, it was a winged structure. So you would have the main admin building in the front. And then off of that would wing out to like different patient wards. And I mean, the kitchens, the place where people would sleep. So it looked like a giant kind of wing building off of the admin building. And on the other side of that, this was a plan that was kind of refined later on, um, early or later on into the 1900s, was the cottage plan. And this was more of, in my opinion, this one's way creepier. I don't know why, but this is kind of like a college campus kind of deal where you would have the main admin building out front and then this place, it would just be like a giant college campus where you would have male dormitories, female dormitories, the cafeteria, rec rooms, like the morgue, everything would be on this huge property of land. So a couple of them that I want to touch upon to give you examples of the Kirkbride plan. Um, This would be places such as, 
Worcester, Massachusetts, the uh, Worcester State Hospital was a big one that was known because it was the architecture on this place was incredible. But probably the main one that everybody knows knows about was either Danvers State Hospital in Danvers, Massachusetts. This was where the first transorbital lobotomy was conducted. Very creepy. Or also the uh, Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in New York is another one that a lot of people know about. But so now. We're kind of just going to jump into the Wayback Machine here, and we're going to travel back to 1903 and go to the Byberry State Hospital, where our podcast is going to take place. So Byberry, this was a mental asylum that was built in the idea of the cottage plan. So it was a big college campus kind of deal. So this was not the winged structure. This was the opposite of that one. Exactly. This was the one that had just everything in it, pretty much. Did the cottage layout have any benefits specifically made for it or was it just like a hey this is different than the wing version itself i think it was different i think it was more beneficial because you could kind of transport patients to like you would have specific buildings that you knew would give specific treatments to patients i got you so like bipolar in maybe one building criminally insane in another yeah okay all right i understand instead of just having them in this giant gothic structure that was just kind of huge right so it wasn't necessarily like a prison layout kind of deal right exactly we're back to the moral compass thing exactly byberry was a section of pennsylvania that was located um in the northeast section of philadelphia oh my god that's by scranton isn't it it is i i, I know one thing about pennsylvania and that's where scranton is i do love me some scranton not only did it For give two us two reasons go ahead you give one i'll give the other reason why um, we love scranton i'm gonna i'll i'll give the office okay. aka my guy michael scott Love it. One of the best TV shows of all time. And I will give, uh, it is the birthplace of one of our favorite bands of all time, Motionless and White. So, in Pennsylvania. So, the state of Pennsylvania passed um, a bill, and this was in the early 1900s, and it was called the Bullet Bill. And this required every county in Pennsylvania to, to have one mental institution based on either population or the size of the area that you were living in in the county. So this was mandated throughout the state of Pennsylvania. The size is in land? Yes. Okay. Um, so that you can kind of just play on population. Of, I mean, yeah. if it was dense. Population makes way more sense. It to does. Me, but yeah. I understand the land so thing too. Because Pennsylvania is, I mean, for huge northeast, or northeast like part of the U.S., it's big. Yeah, it's massive. So during this time, the, uh, the city of Philadelphia, they purchased something known as the Holmesburg Prison Farm. And this was an inmate-run farm that was used to grow food and crops as kind of a reforming and re-education thing for prisoners. Um, this was just a place that was kind of just set aside in the countryside, and it was just like a couple buildings where they grew food and dairy products and all that stuff that would happen on a farm. And they realized that this would be a great place to start building a mental hospital for people who are mentally challenged around the area of Byberry in uh, northern Philadelphia. So they started constructing buildings here in 1907, and it started to undergo the cottage plan kind of construction. And this was their whole idea going on or going forward that this was going to be the spot that they wanted a mental asylum to be built. Officially, they started, uh, or officially, they finished construction of the buildings in the mid 1920s. But even before they finished like construction, they had an influx of patients coming in because there was such a high demand in the area 
Um, so they started to notice that they were taking in more than they could handle at the time. But they, that didn't stop them from doing it because it was kind of a high demand and people needed to get put into this place. Yeah, was like everyone and their mother sending people More or to less. Them? Yeah, because they realized, I mean, it's a horrible thing to say because back then people didn't know like how to actually treat these people. So they just brought them, like the families would bring them, leave them there, and then just drive away. Right. So it was either ignorance on the family's part where they just didn't know how to actually administer whatever medication – I mean, not even medication, but procedures to help them. Or, and medication is part of it, but... Exactly. Yep. Yeah. They had no idea what to do. But so the, the Viberia State Hospital was turned over. This is very important. It was turned over to the state of Philadelphia. I mean, Pennsylvania, sorry. In 1936. And this is when it was renamed the Philadelphia State Hospital at Viberia. So it went from the Viberia State Hospital to this. And shortly after that happened, this is when like a huge influx of people started to come in. And it's important to know the type of people that came here. It was a vast, like, group of people. So they had paranoid schizophrenics. Um, they had just mentally disabled people. And they also housed criminally insane individuals here. So it was just everybody would just get piled into this one section of land. Right. On the spectrum, there were people that were together that should not have been together. Absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, that, I mean honestly, even – well, it's 2020, so nine, almost – a hundred years ago, they yep. didn't really know how to differentiate and how to separate. They just thought they needed all to get put in one place. Right. Out of society. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's hard to say, but that's just what it was back in the 1930s. Oh, exactly. Right around the 1920s and the 1930s, this is when the lobotomy started to take place at Byberry. And they originally started with just the lobotomy, like most mental asylums in the day. So if anyone doesn't really know what a lobotomy is, it's... Kind of, quote unquote, the ice pick procedure where they go through your nose and they separate the gray matter between your frontal lobe and the rest of the brain, which is pretty much where you you live. It's a cognitive, like that's where you're all Yeah, cognitive processing. Yep. It's, it's, I mean, what what's left after that, it's like your basal necessity. So I don't want to use the term, but I'm going to say it. Brain dead. Yes. You're just, to an extent. You I just feel, don't have... Like, I feel like you're not there. Right. It. I mean, it affects people differently, but... The whole idea was if they broke up the gray matter between that frontal lobe and the rest of the brain, that that individual would go back to, quote unquote, being normal. So these are people I'm assuming that were really overt and really aggressive and outright and scream. Or not, even I mean, some screamed, some didn't, but the whole idea behind that, it's that they wanted to kind of bring them back to, again, I'm air quoting here, reality. Exactly. Right. I mean, in theory... That sort of makes sense if you can go in and connect different neurons to different neurons, but they couldn't do that. We can't do that now. If they just broke up all that gray matter from that frontal lobe, they would be fine. They thought this was a good idea. It wasn't. It was a terrible idea. Absolutely not. But it's important to know that after this happened um, around like 1935, I believe it was, a man named Walter Freeman, he was a psychiatrist, he started to tour around the country and he started in Danvers, Massachusetts with something called the transorbital lobotomy. And this, I have a, a quote here that tells exactly what he did. So what he would do was he would just travel the country and show different mental institutions how to perform this much quicker procedure than the actual just regular lobotomy. So I have a quote here. And so here we go. Um, As those who watched the procedure described it, a patient would be rendered unconscious by electroshock. 
Freeman would then take a sharp ice pick-like instrument, insert it above the patient's eyeball through the orbit of the eye into the frontal lobes of the brain, moving the instrument back and forth. Then he would do the same on the other side of the face. So he would take this sharp object, stick it into the corner of your eye next to your nose, and shove it up straight through your skull, because this would give you a direct path to the frontal lobe of your brain. Um, and then he would kind of stir it all up into jelly and then pull the ice pick back out. And how do the patients respond when they woke up? These patients would be, I'm guessing, just, I'm guessing you'd be bleeding from your eyes, one, and then you would probably just be rendered in so much pain and so much, like, suffering, you probably... Right. I mean, in essence, they were, they went limp. I'm sure. I'm pretty sure, yeah, their their motor functions were gone. Sensory functions were gone. I would also love to know, it's out there somewhere, how many people he killed doing this. Yeah, well, I mean, they were alive, but killed, yes. Right, I know for one, he um, he posed for a picture, I forgot where it was. I don't know if it was in Boston, or it was someplace in the Northeast, but when he was doing, when Freeman was doing these transorbital lobotomies in front of people to show him how they were done, he would use live patients. And I remember he stuck the ice pick up into the person's eye, and up into the brain, and then he stopped for a few minutes to pose for pictures with this person. And then he went back to work in the head it's crazy you um, even think that they had you know feelings emotions clearly not thoughts this, this guy was a monster but he came to uh philadelphia and people from the byberry state hospital would go to see him do these procedures to learn them for themselves and use them there so this is one of the first creepiest things that would happen at this mental i hope that's the creepiest thing i hope there's no other creepy stuff i think that's a very rational fear that everybody has of mental asylums is i think like the Rodmaninoff stern of all creepy things is the transorbital lobotomy. Thinking of getting strapped to a chair and somebody coming at you with this large, sharp object they're going to stick through your eye. Yeah, it's it technically that falls under the category of torture. Exactly. It's so hard. Like, this is such a hard topic to discuss. Hard not because it's, I mean, you know, like going through and finding facts and information, but hard because like, this is what they thought was right. Exactly. Back then. And that's, when you have one bio, like biochemical, if your your dopamine and serotonin, they, they're not like meshing or whatever, and you're seeing things or hearing things, and you go to a place for help, and this is what they do, like that is just, that is such a dark area in, you, you could even argue like world history. Oh, yeah. Because England wasn't more advanced, I mean, maybe no, England, five years I, I think advanced. England was, I think they were not as aggressive as the United States was with dealing with this thing. Right. Like this, this they might not have had the actual, like the amount of, you know, um, influx of patients either. But like, you could argue that it, even anything before the 1960s, it was just inhumane. Okay. If you go back and think about it. Exactly, yeah. The truly horrifying things that started to happen at Byberry happened during World War II. So anywhere between uh, the late 1930s into 1940s, 1950s, this is when a lot of people around the Philadelphia area did not get deployed into World War II because of quote-unquote relig religious reasons. Um, they stayed home, and these people needed work around the area, and places like mental asylums needed the help. So I can already see where you're going. They were super unqualified. Super unqualified And they started working people. At the mental asylum. Yep, because they oh, needed a job. This is going to be brutal. And a place like 
Byberry at this time during World War II had such an influx of patients, they would take anybody and anybody to come and help. Did they get paid by like the patient? No, they would just get, I'm guessing they like would probably state? get, yeah, state. Or federal? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So at Byberry at this time in the night, I believe 1943 between 1943 and the mid 1950s. Uh, or the mid-1960s, this is when they had an influx of patients that reached over 7,000. When originally this hospital was only regimented to have 2,500 at most. So it pretty much tripled yeah. after World War II. And it's crazy. That is a such a crazy number of people to have in this area. You have that plus the unqualified people who are actually trying to help the patients or like... Um, not even help the patients, but um, hold them down and stuff like that. That oh yep. god. So during this time when they had this many patients, they were still understaffed. People would strap patients to the beds and leave them because they couldn't. They physically couldn't have the numbers to deal with them, so they would just have to leave them and strap them to beds. They left masses of people in single person rooms with one bed. You're talking anywhere between seven to I saw one account where it was. 19 people in a room and they were just shut the door and then they also when they realized that this wasn't logical quote unquote logical they would just open the doors and leave them all in hallways and they would have anywhere between 30 to 70 people in hallways lined with no bathrooms so i'm talking they would just be crawling around in their own excrements and around like other people who were either just laying there trying to sleep so it was just thinking about this is horrifying and all these people needed medical help yep so it makes you wonder what they actually did like like not even physical medical help which i'm sure half of them to three quarters needed but at like biochemical they needed some kind of medication absolutely and i have another quote here that talks about this so thousands spent their days often for weeks at a stretch locked in devices euphemistically called restraints Thick leather handcuffs, great canvas camisoles, muffs, mitts, wristlets, locks, and straps. Hundreds are confined in lodges, bare, bedless rooms reeking with filth and feces. By daylight, only through half-inch holes in steel-plated windows. By night, merely black tombs in which the cries of the insane echo unheard from the peeling plaster of the walls. And this was taken from uh, Life Magazine's ex- exposure of Philadelphia's Byberry Mental Hospital. And this was published in 1946. This sounds like the fourth level of hell. It sounds tr- truly, truly horrifying. Yeah, it sounds absolutely horrible. And so a U.S. district court in the eastern section of the United States, uh, which was headquarters in Philadelphia, uh, they found out that this is terrifying. As recent as the, as the 1980s, a 27-year-old man named William Kursk was left in restraints for somewhere between 14 months to three years. And he was only given attention for food and drink. I was just going to ask how he was alive. They, so for food and drink. Not going to the bathroom, not giving medication. For, so it, did, the, did they get tried? Did the people go to jail? The, at that time, I'm I be- going to write a, a letter if they didn't. At that time, I believe somebody, they were tried and they were found guilty of uh, inhumane ways to treat a human. But I, I'm going to talk about something in a second here that is mind-blowing. That was already mind-blowing. That, that For- happened so, 40 years ago. At best, 14 months he was strapped down. Which is over a year. At best. 
Which is over a year. Yeah, I can't get shut down for more than a day. Oh, no, I would. If I'm like in a car driving for a day, I'm. It's, I, it's crazy. Yeah. It is absolutely crazy. Another thing that. So, kind of like the Danvers State Hospital in Massachusetts was known for the transorbital lobotomy the first time they did that there. This place is known for something called the water cure. So, this was a way that people would take patients, and this was kind of a form to use to restrain them and calm them quote-unquote calm them down and this is how pretty much it went on so this comes from a 1946 newspaper article um, in the philadelphia record and this describes uh byberry's water cure an attendant soaked a large towel in water after wringing it out he clamped the towel around the patient's neck the attendant pulled the ends together and began to twist first he tightened the noose and then gave the towel a slow turn to let the patient know what was in store for him the patient begged for mercy, but the twisting continued. The patient's eyes bulged, his tongue swelled, his breathing labored. At length, his body fell back on the bed. His face was dreadful white, and he did not, to, he did not appear to be breathing. Fifteen minutes elapsed before he showed signs of returning to life. The patient was, quote, subdued. And they, they strangled him. Yes, and this act left no physical marks on the body, and so it couldn't. It could easily fly under the radar of people coming to investigate, like the area. Right. It, especially if you only did it on certain, like patients that were specifically causing you trouble. Right. It's it's the same idea as the transorbital lobotomy. Yep. You have a patient who is, again, giving you an issue. They're being very loud they, they see stuff in the corner they hear things whatever it is they're attacking um doctors and stuff like that and nurses and then you perform this specific procedure because they lose air for 15 minutes mm -hmm. oxygen deprivation of the brain they are complacent that is fucking terrible F this entire part of <laughs> u.s history yeah dude these guys are and these were the people who like these are the trained professionals yeah it, oh, well, trained. Oh, i'm sorry you yeah. can't see again with the air quotes we've done it like eight times tonight but air quotes trained professionals and these could have been the people coming from like who didn't fight in world war ii who just needed a job and they're hey there's the best way i can do this uh, yeah but you're telling me there's doctors that are not okay oh, with this yeah no yeah that's so it's so fucked up to think that people were treated this way it's 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 a stain it's a stain on united states history but finally i'm not well this was a lot <laughs> This was recently, so there was probably another good 30 years here that we're not touching upon in this place, but uh, finally, Byberry shut his doors in June of 1990 after numerous allegations and numerous investigations took place through other grounds, and they realized that this place needed to be shut down. Carpet vomit. Finally, yeah. Just carpet finally vomit, shut down. fertilizer. And so I'm just going to touch upon three, this is how I'm going to try to close it out before we talk about this a tiny little bit. A tiny little bit. Three kind of horrifying stories that took place here so between 1920 and 1960 more than seven female patients were said to be raped and killed on the property from either orderlies or other patients and this is this is documented rapes. yep yep do you know how many can you just imagine how many are undocumented that oh, were not caught there's so many it, well i feel like these ones were caught because the, they were killed imagine like if they how many were just raped. yeah but who couldn't speak exactly That's, exactly oh my god this is the darkest thing we ever discussed in podcast terms. And so another one, this was the thing I want to touch about when you said people prosecuted for this stuff. In 1919, two orderlies confessed that they violently murdered a patient 
and strangled him until his eyes popped out and came out of his skull. They said that they had PTSD from World War I and didn't know how to deal with it properly. These two men were not prosecuted and they were kept on staff with a higher pay grade after confessing that they committed this murder. I have so many questions. I think that they were, oh, we have two honest gentlemen here who told us what happened. Let's keep them on staff. No, they couldn't persecute them because they themselves claimed that they had a mental issue with PTSD via World War One. That, that, that makes more sense. I, it just, I don't, I, it doesn't make sense that they, they should have been patients. Right. They should, they should have, they should have been the ones there for it, in my opinion. Right. In a perfect world. In a perfect world. Absolutely. And found coping mechanisms that would have helped them in, you know, day-to-day life. Exactly. And finally, this is the scariest thing to me that took place here. Yeah, I'm going to check out now because we've already discussed a lot of scary stuff. And people don't talk, really talk about this. I saw a few articles that kind of referenced Byberry State Hospital as this, but they compared it to a concentration camp in World War II, which is logical. You can think about that. But this is why. So... Sometime within its history, a pharmaceutical company opened up within the basement at Byberry and on the grounds, and they were there specifically to do extensive and morally questionable testing of drugs that they didn't know would affect humans and know, like, before they sent them out to the general public, they used patients at Byberry to test these drugs and see their reaction to them. Right, so they did not know what side effects would occur two, five, ten years down the road. Yep. They use these patients for that, and then could market it, and then can make a profit off of it. And the scariest part is they have no documentation of what happened to these people. Of course not. They're can you, probably buried in shallow graves out oh, back somewhere. Can you imagine what type of drugs that they were just kind of concocted? Like, oh yeah, let's just test random people and see what happened. Right, so, like the very small optimistic portion of my brain is thinking like, well, maybe they were making a drug that could theoretically make someone who is bipolar back in 1912 um, feel a little bit better or maybe not be so manic or, or so depressed, whatever it is. But in reality, it probably wasn't that. They probably wanted money. They just threw some drugs together kind of deal. Yeah, and maybe that would happen one every 20,000 patients. Maybe you made a breakthrough. Exactly. But it's not worth it, in my opinion, to have to deal with that many patients just to get one breakthrough. It's crazy to me. If you had a company that had a moral standpoint and and put some research in five, ten years before they even tried human subjects, which you can't legally do, I don't think, anyway, um, that would be a little bit different, but it's not different. Absolutely. That is... That is so f***ed up. That is, like, as f***ed up as... We discussed it in the second episode, the Inquisition kind of deal. That was a religious right. sort of, um, like, people in the name of God were persecuting other people. Yeah, it's a huge revolution um, right. across Spain. That this You can kind of look at it the same way across the United States. This mental patients were thrown in these quote-unquote concentration camps where anything went. And we didn't even touch upon, like, ice water baths and electroshock therapy and all those nasty things that happened inside mental institutions across the United States. That are not documented. Right, exactly. Yeah, this is like the surface of the surface kind of thing. Yeah. How do you – so that's Byberry Mental Hospital located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I hope this gave people kind of an eye-opening about a mental hospital that 
me, I didn't even really know anything about uh, before researching it. And it, this is just one of them compared to the thousands of them that opened up across the United States. So I hope this gave people kind of a taste of what happened at these places. But just talk to you for a second, like the Halloween aspect again. How do you feel about mental asylums? Would you visit one? Do you think they're like cool places? Do you like, do you think they should be kept? Do you think they should be demolished? I mean, I think in 2020, we've made strides and insanely good advancements in mental health, which is awesome. That's exactly what we need. I agree. And as far as morals go, I would say 98% of staff is like mental staff goes, they're good to go. Absolutely. You'll have bad apples, but you know what I mean? Right. It's different than what it was. I think again, in 1912, it was, it, it wasn't that people just had black hearts and black souls. There was just more ignorance than anything. They just didn't really know what was going on. They didn't have our technology. Um, but mental hospitals, they just like make me sad. Like in general, I'm not a sad guy. I'm never sad kind of deal. It's just like, a you're trapped in your own head. You're trying to get help. You're not even reaching out for help. It's your family or your friends who are sending you to a place to get help. You don't get that kind of help, especially back in 1912, 1930, 1950s, 1990s. Um, it's just like, it's a really, I'm sure it's a hard topic for a lot of people to just hear about. So getting these documented facts, it's, it's definitely not like a good thing. No, absolutely. And us, me and you, we've been on a fair amount of paranormal investigations. I don't know. Have you ever visited a mental asylum or no? I have. I visited two. Two? Yep. Um, okay. So we can both talk about this firsthand. So I've been to, I've been to three, I believe, but the one that kind of sticks out to me and this, it, it doesn't really qualify, but I don't know why this one sticks out to me so much, but it's called the Metropolitan State Hospital, and it's located in Waltham, Massachusetts. And it used to be a full cottage plan type of asylum, but now, currently, I visited in 2019 and 2018. Um, it's just the admin building that's still up, so that would be the first thing you would see driving up to this place. And this place is... Now it's abandoned. There's overgrown everything. It's covered in graffiti or whatever. But this place was open when I went. So I got to go inside of it. And let me tell you right now, there is no... I've been to a couple spooky places. I've encountered paranormal activity. I've felt ghosts. I've, I've, done, I've done it all. These places give you a totally different feeling of anxiety and history and everything. When you step onto the grounds and you're face-to-face with them, it feels like a movie. You're like, am I actually here? Especially with this place because they still had the original like driveway up to it where I pictured somebody getting rolling up with their family and they would just drop you off at the front steps and patients or nurses would be there to take you into the admin building. I could like see this all getting played out. And so not only is it creepy to me, but these places are – I think they should be preserved and I think the history should be shown to people instead of just demolishing them and making them into like apartment buildings. That's no. how I feel. I completely agree. The energy there, it's like, it's the hardest thing to think about. It's, there's a patient, like you said, who is being driven up to the administration building. Yep. It doesn't matter how much you love them or how much you care about them or how close you are to them. Whatever you say will not process with them. Like you saying, hey, we're going to, we're dropping you off to get you better. They will not process that. That That's like the, the energy you feel when you go to these places. It's not like, oh my God, a, a spooky energy or anything like that. It's like, a, like wow, it's heavy. It's, that's, it's palpable. Heavy. It's very palpable. Yeah, exactly. It's palpable. It's well, different than going to a graveyard or going to like a place where there was a murder or whatever it was. Right. 
it's stepping if you have the opportunity to get inside it will legally yeah, legally it will change you kind of it will like the feeling you get in there i haven't felt that ever in my entire life and oh man and not only it's like not only is it spooky because you still have all like the instruments the yeah it, well like in like wheelchairs out when i went and there's just so many things still there but then you think about the deaths and the way these people were treated and i think these are the like top places for paranormal activity to happen in my opinion when you think about how badly they needed help and didn't get it that is what really gets to me it's that they just i'm sure they were reaching out in their own ways but whoever it was they just did not process it correctly which means they did not give the patient the help that they deserved 